My name is Brandy Walker. I am the Gateway Guru. Welcome to Throwing Light. This is episode four, How Not to Quit on Your Dreams. So the heart of it is how do we keep pursuing our dreams in the midst of failures, fears, and doubts, and just plain old regular life with its dentist appointments and soccer games and all the random crap that we have to do in an ordinary day. Before we get into it, I wanted to make a quick announcement I am going to be participating, I'll be one of nine storytellers, I think, in a storytelling show in Vienna, Virginia called Roar, True Tales of Women Warriors. You can find information for the show at bettersaidthandone.com, and I'll also put a link in the show notes. And the other thing about that is the show might sell out. So if you are interested in going to something like that, you might want to get your tickets now. Moving on, a few months ago, I was working on creating a TED Talk for, I think, New York. I'm not sure. I was working on a TED Talk application to be a TED speaker. I haven't gotten it yet, but I was applying to speak and I had posted on Facebook that I was applying to speak and my friend Laura, this was like right around New Year's, and she wrote me this email and it really touched me. So here it is. Hi Brandy, ever since the TED Talk idea, I have been trying to figure out what I wish I could learn from you. I really loved the idea that you shared and proposed, but at the same time, For me, the thing that makes you so influential is something different. It has something to do with your relentless pursuit of better slash growth slash goodness. You say yes to life and going deeper on a daily basis. You run at challenges and growth when most people abandon the struggle and just numb out. I would like to experience more of that in my daily life, but I've been thinking that the trouble with teaching, learning something like that is that knowing how does not bring change. I think it's usually experiential or maybe comes from a new understanding or shift in perspective. Anyway, with the new year at hand, I've just been thinking more of what I want in my life. And this was close to the top. I thought I'd emulate you and write it down to share. (laughs) Happy new year. She got me thinking that this is something that I do. And this is something that I may be good at sharing. I could actually help people pursue their dreams or not quit on their dreams because I am kind of relentlessly stubborn at going after mine. And I had talked in a previous episode about selfishness as a gift that I can give to you. So that's kind of this. What I thought I'd do in this particular episode is share a little bit of my story and how I got here and then offer a few tips, tricks, ideas, thoughts I picked up along the way for how you might not quit on your dreams. And I think she made a really good point. This is a difficult thing to teach because I think it does have to be experiential 
But I also think that knowing it is the first step and wanting it is the first step. So if you have something that you're going after and you're feeling frustrated and you're feeling like, I don't know if I can keep going and maybe this is not worth it. Uh, I want this episode to give you encouragement and I'm a big believer in the pivot, the idea that you can and should change and evolve, but I don't think you should give up on something just because you're afraid. So that is the core of what this episode is about. So I have been pursuing this particular path of wanting to be a full-time writer and speaker for six years now, and that feels overwhelming and frustrating to me at times because I feel like, man, I should be farther along. But then I see other people like Stephen Pressfield. He didn't publish his first book for 17 years after he started writing. And now he's written like a lot. So six years actually is not a long time, but I've arguably been working at it longer. If you count college, then 10 years. I was definitely pursuing my dream. I just didn't know what it was then. Around 2007, I had this teary, powerful moment in the car while I was driving down the road and suddenly I felt like I got this burst of inspiration and I knew what I was supposed to do with my life. I felt that God was calling me to be a pastor. In 2005, I scheduled a meeting with the admissions counselor at a local seminary where I lived in North Carolina And he very kindly informed me that I needed to have a college degree before I pursued seminary. So I went out and got one. From very early on, sort of right after becoming a Christian, I realized that I wanted to be a pastor, but it took me several years before I admitted that dream because I I felt kind of like I was too bad. I was too not Christian-like to pursue that. And that dream I talked about in a previous episode has evolved a lot. I don't think that I'm supposed to be a pastor in the traditional sense, but that call to preach and to share actual good news is definitely still a thing. When I was in high school, I knew that I was a gifted writer and I knew that I wanted to be on stage. I thought it was acting for a while. Honestly, if I hadn't lost five years of my life, to getting high, then I probably would have gone to college and pursued acting. And fun fact, my claim to fame is that I was an extra in the movie Step Up 2. And I may have already shared that. So if I had gone that route, then I wouldn't have the life that I have now. So I'm pretty pleased with things as they are, even though I'm sometimes plagued with that idea that I could be farther. I actually don't know if that's the truth. I have no idea, and there's no way of knowing, so I can only move forward from here. It was 2011 when I found the online blogosphere and realized that I could use that as a platform to go after my dreams. At the time, I called it PAWS, P-A-W-S, which I think stood for pastor, actor, writer, and spoken word artist. I think it also could be like preacher or preaching, acting, writing, speaking. I'm not sure. They were different, different like variations, but it was the same acronym. I often feel like in this work that I'm all over the place, but if you look at those core things, maybe minus acting, a lot of that is what I do now and what I want to do for the rest of my life. 
So basically for the past six years, I have been working on different versions of this dream and honing it to figure out what a real life interpretation of that is going to look like. And I struggle because I have this fear slash feeling that I'm playing at it now. I'm not really doing the thing because I'm not getting paid the big bucks. I actually think that's wrong and a destructive thought. I really dislike the idea in the online blogosphere, if you're not getting paid, then it's just a hobby. It doesn't make sense on any level to call my desire to be a writer and a speaker a hobby. That doesn't make any sense. So I reject that. You don't have to believe everything that you read online. I don't know. You may know that already. Along with this pursuit, I have had breakdowns and frustrations and colossal wins. I got featured on the news. I have gotten speaking gigs. I have had people notice my work and I get emails like I shared at the beginning with people saying that something I wrote really touched them. So it's definitely a path that has been dotted with extreme highs and lows. I also have a very supportive family, especially my spouse. I feel very blessed slash privileged in that way. I try really hard not to take that for granted, but I wouldn't want that to be the reason I didn't pursue my dream if I didn't have those things. So I have kind of six main points that came up when I was trying to work out how and why you should and can keep going after your dreams. So here they are. First, number one, get really clear about what your dreams are. And that seems obvious, but in my experience, this is a continual process. Your dreams will evolve. And you need to make sure that your dreams are your own and not someone that you're trying to impress or win the approval or affection of. This is really important. I don't think it's something that we talk about very often. So I've talked about the idea of the hero's journey that was created by a man named Joseph Campbell. And it's for storytellers, for writers. It's the idea that the hero gets a task, usually <laughs> rejects it, feels like unworthy. So he says no, but eventually he's kind of forced to go after it. Then he does, and ultimately he conquers the beast or whatever it is and slays a dragon and wins the wins the girl. The problem with that is that it's male-focused. Not only is it for men, but it implies that women have nowhere to go. They don't go out into the world and slay the dragon. They are the prize at the end of, <laughs> of the, the doing of the slaying. Women can and should slay dragons. Slay. So in 1990, Maureen Murdoch wrote a book called The Heroine's Journey, and it was an internal journey. So women didn't go anywhere, but they went inside themselves. They became more self-aware. They became aware of what their inner demons were, and then they came out victorious on the other side. From the outside, it doesn't look like anything has changed. From the inside, you are remarkably different. And men and women have experienced this, no doubt. When you go through a powerful transformation you don't look any different. Maybe you don't even change like your hair, but there's a change and people notice it. And sometimes they don't like it because <laughs> they like the old Maria or the old, I don't know who's listening, the old Carl, but you can't go back. 
So it's not like women go on the heroine's journey and men go on the hero's journey. We need both men and women to go on both journeys. We definitely need more women going out and slaying the dragons of the world, but we also need men doing that inner journey. Quick hat tip, that original thought was presented in the podcast Insatiable, and I will link to that in the show notes. The reason I say all this and the reason I go off on this huge hero's journey tangent is because Alexander Shia, who I've mentioned before, he had this comment where he said that he thought that part of the hero's journey like an essential part was that you have to, on some level, disappoint your parents. And I think that's so profound. In the realm of going after your dreams, when you arrive in your mother's arms, you are often already given a script. As you grow, people say things like, he's so smart, or she's so beautiful, or he's dumb, or she'll never amount to anything. Essentially, I believe that In order to go after your calling, you have to, on some level, be willing to toss that script aside. And in doing that, you're going to let people down. So it may not be your parents, but it may be a family member or friends from when you were in high school. And it doesn't mean that that you're bad and it doesn't mean that they're bad. It's just part of it. That's part of how we were created, I think. Know what your dreams are. And I think a simple way to do that is journaling. It's not a simple way. That's totally bullshit. (laughs) The idea that journaling is simple. But write it out. Get it out on paper. Another way to figure out what it is that you truly desire is silence. Spending even just five minutes focusing on your breathing and listening for that inner wisdom. So number two Pray, trust the universe for your next right step. In following your dreams, you must inevitably submit to something bigger than yourself. I receive Rob Bresney's astrology newsletter, and it is exceptional. He shares what he calls pronia. He actually, I think, wrote a book about it, and it's just good news. It's like cool things that are happening around the world, cool shit people are doing, I'll put him in the show notes. I'll put his website in the show notes, but just a quick word. Don't let his website (laughs) freak you out. The design is really not great. And it's a little, it's astrology. So it's a little out there. But when you look at the core of what he's actually talking about, it's insightful and brilliant and wise. So he shared this quote in his last newsletter and it is by Andrew Harvey. A spirituality that is only private and self-absorbed, one devoid of an authentic political and social consciousness, does little to halt the suicidal juggernaut of history. On the other hand, an activism that is not purified by profound spiritual and psychological self-awareness will only perpetuate the problem it is trying to solve, however righteous its intentions. If you try to go after a cause or a calling without a bigger purpose, I think it's easy to get burned out. I mean, it's easy to become those things even with with it. So how much more so? Number three, I love this one. So it's run towards hard challenges, which just sounds awful. <laughs> In order to slay the dragon, you have to enter his lair. I apparently really love dragon analogies. 
didn't know that until this episode. So one of my big goals right now is to become a really fierce athlete, which if you know me, okay, I don't look like I'm the most fit person. I actually am much more fit than I look, and I think that's awesome. I always think about what Jillian Michaels, forgive me for using a trainer from The Biggest Loser, because I know that's not like the most forward-thinking show, but she says you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable, and that's the mindset you need to have to continue to go after your dreams year after year when it doesn't happen the way you thought it would. You have to just do it. And you have to be like, this scares the shit out of me, but I'm going to be really proud of myself. Jermaine bought me a book a couple years ago called Do Hard Things. I don't know anything about the book. I didn't read it. I don't even know if I still have it. Sorry, Jermaine. (laughs) But that's essentially the point. Do hard things. As always, I'm honored that you're listening. And if you have an idea you'd like me to flesh out on Throwing Light or want to talk about the chili that I made and posted on Instagram and get the recipe, feel free (laughs) to message me for anything. I'm here all night. And I thought I'd do something a little different this time and share a piece of the book that I'm writing the fiction. This is the prologue. Love to you. So much love. Here it is your break for verses. It's positive, said Risha. I just stood there. The words didn't stick to my insides. I knew what they meant for someone else, maybe. They meant nothing to me. Wasn't positive supposed to feel, well, positive? It didn't. Positive was negative. The world had just gotten a little more evil. I didn't know what to do with this information, and yet, at the same time, I knew deep in my bones, this is my only ticket out. I was supposed to be a lifer. That's what they told me. That's what they all said with their eyes. I was too good at it, and I had numbed myself to the point that I couldn't feel the horror of it anymore. Clients raved about me. I was known to enjoy myself, even with the masochistic ones. I didn't. Of course, I'd stumble back to my room every night and vomit up all the sex. I would sit in the shower for an hour, trying to make the dripping, cold, hard water wash all the dirt away. But it was no use. I was dirty, inside and out. They had to see that. There was no hope. Even in the water, I knew that it was a lost cause. I would never be clean. But still, they had me tested regularly. I hadn't gotten hep C. I hadn't gotten herpes. I hadn't gotten AIDS for crying out loud. How on fucking earth did I contract this? It happened fast. I still hadn't found my words when we were walking, almost running. You have to go, Maddie. Now, don't go back to your room. Just go. They won't be back for another 15 minutes. Go. It would be 10 years before I fully grasped the weight of that moment. Part of me didn't want to go. Most of me didn't want to go. But all of me had been taught full throttle obedience. She had never been kind to me before. She'd always just greeted the Johns and shoved me into the next room. She was nothing to me. Just another person I had to listen to. I was deep in survival mode. I knew only to obey. She said go, so I went. Maybe I thought I was meeting my guy outside. No, I didn't. I knew, even then. 
I didn't know where to go. I just walked and walked and walked. I thought it was a miracle when the first car, when I first saw the car lights, and it was, but it wasn't God or magic. It was Risha. She told them where to find me. She knew where I'd go, even though I hadn't been outside those doors in six years. She knew me better than I knew myself. But then again, I didn't know myself at all. They pulled up slowly and dimmed their lights. Honestly, they didn't need to. I would not have run. I would not have done anything other than what I was told. The woman had a kind face. The man looked confused, but not in a scary way. If I had had words back then, I would have said I felt instantly at ease. This is one of those scenes in a story that could have been the end, the happily ever after, but as it is so often with these things, it was really only the beginning. I didn't speak until after I saw my child.